Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Last week we talked about membership and uh, we're continuing on our series on we, not me, what it means to be church. And this morning's really going to be a cool one because we're going to talk about giving and tithing. One of those subjects that if you think membership was difficult to preach on, you should come up and try giving a sermon on giving and tithing with everybody looking at you. Um, but it is part of who we are. It's a part of what we do together. But the question is, what, what does the Bible you know, have to say about it? There's so much out there that we hear from people telling us, but we want to be Bible-based. We want to know what the Bible's about. But before we get into that, I'll share with you something. We don't have any more one-cent coins, do we? (laughs) Somewhere in the bottom of a couch somewhere, maybe, or in the garage in a corner there might be. How many years has it been since you guys got rid of the one-cent coin? Has it been a while? Are they worth much? Yeah. I think they're worth more, not in the value of it, but if you melt it down, right? (laughs) <laughs> in the US, um, one cent coins, the pennies, uh, were made of copper up until 1982. And then in 1982, they realized that copper was worth so much more than the one cent penny to make that they realized that they've got to do something. If not, you know, the one cent penny that's worth one cent will actually be worth like five cents. So they changed it to zinc. Today, a one cent penny costs 2.4 cents to make. It's crazy, isn't it? Now there's some of you who are into investing are thinking, oh, how many pennies do I need to collect? And then I can melt it down and sell. Look, if you want to get a million pennies, which will equal about $10,000, if you get 100 a day, it'll take you 28 years. So it's not really worth the investment. Okay, Pennies are worthless, right? Yeah. Not yeah. Uh, well, oh, we skipped one there. There is a story in the Bible about pennies. It comes from the book of Mark and it talks about a widow. I'm going to read this to you um, because it's really pertinent about what we're going to be talking about today. It says in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped their money in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples and said... I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making the contributions. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now, the two pennies that we're talking about are actually Greek leptas. Uh, Got a little bit of a thing here. There it is. They're little Greek leptas. They're the smallest denomination of coin you could find in Palestine at the time. They weren't the smallest denomination of coin for the Romans. The Roman smallest coin was a cronin, which actually equaled two leptas. That's how small the lepta was. It was a very small coin, and it wasn't worth much. Um, It wasn't worth a penny. It was worth a little bit more than what we would consider a penny today, because in all honesty, a penny doesn't mean much to us today. We can't buy anything with it. Well, with a lepta, you could buy some stuff, but it was worth very, very, very little. And just to give you a comparison 
of how little it's worth. If you're walking down Brougham Street and you see, this is not working today, there we go, we see a 10 cent coin in the middle of Brougham Street with all the traffic going, would you run across and pick it up? (laughs) Someone knows the value of coin. But I mean, in all honesty, you're seeing traffic, you see a 10 cent coin out there, it's not worth running out for, is it? Now, if it was a $1 or a $2 coin, oh, now I'm thinking about it, huh? I could do a little bit more with a $1 or a $2 coin, right? Would you run across the street and grab it? Risking life and limb with the kind of traffic that's on Brougham Street. Okay, what about a $10 bill? Absolutely. Yep, no, no thoughts about it. We'll be cross that road grabbing it. And then the last, but if there is a stack of bills, I mean, we would get run over to grab it, wouldn't we? That's just to give you an idea of what the value of this coin meant. It didn't mean much at all. It's something that we today wouldn't think twice of. We would just ignore it. Ten cent coin. It's like seeing a one cent penny on the ground. There's a, who's seen that movie? It's an old movie, uh, Pennies from Heaven. Was that a Bing Crosby movie many, many years ago? You know, they were dreaming of pennies falling from heaven. Today, we would think of that as being a bit of a nuisance, wouldn't we? Really, right? <laughs> They're going to scratch my car. <laughs> yeah. Pennies from heaven today, eh, back then they were worth quite a bit. And back then for her, for that widow, those pennies, those leptas that she gave away, they were worth a lot to her. But then there's a whole stack of questions that come up in reading that thing. Why is the widow giving money away? Anyone want to venture to guess? She felt it was important? It was a requirement for her? Give to the sanctuary, to the temple? It's what the Old Testament calls a tithe. What is a tithe? A tenth? What is it? A tenth? A tenth of what? Something that belongs to God. Okay, well, the other question is, is it applicable to us today? We've got a yes? No? Maybe? Maybe? <laughs> hey, we've covered all the bases. Let's go to the next question. <laughs> Where does it come from? What's the whole idea? Where does this whole tithing come from? The Old Testament? Yep. And where did this 10% come from? Where did it, yeah, Old Testament. Is there anything anywhere in the Old Testament where it says, you know, you need to give 10%? Hmm? No. No. It's the actual word itself. Tithe means a tenth. I've had, I've had discussions with people in the past where they said, oh, nowhere in the Bible does it say I need to give 10%. But, but tithe means a tenth. Oh, it doesn't say 10%. It means a tenth. <laughs> you can't argue the word. You know? So the Hebrew word for tithe actually physically means a tenth. A tenth of what you gave. Now, 
Believe me, when, uh, this, is, this is harder than membership because people would argue this. And there are a lot of people that do. You go online and you type in tithing, you'll see debates going back and forth. We should, we shouldn't. It's not biblical, it's biblical. But, you know, a lot of them I notice as I go through reading a lot of these debates, very few of them have any idea of where the idea came from and what it was for. How many tithes are there in the Bible? Apart from Alan Goulstone. <laughs> There are three tithes. Did you know that? We always think of one tithe, but there's actually three. And, and we don't really know what they're for. A lot of us argue these for. It's like membership. Sometimes it may not be that clearly written in black and white, but if we understand why God put it into place and how it applies to us today, we might actually have a bit of a different view. There were three tithes that God had instituted to the Israelites. Three tithes. The first one was to support the Levites. Remember a few months, uh, a couple months ago when we were doing Haggai and we saw the map of Israel and the 12 tribes were spread out? Well, guess who didn't get any land? The poor Levites. They got nothing. You know, everybody else got their nice little allotment. Everyone else got their little flag to wave and the poor Levites are just kind of standing there saying, what do we get? But God instituted a rule. He said, you know what? You need to support the Levites, the rest of you. So whatever you make every year, a tenth of that goes to the Levites. Oh, cool. So 12 tribes would give 10%, and that would be the income of the Levites. Now, the Levites didn't just work in the temple. They also, with that money, bought land and had property. They had stuff that they owned. Some of them did other things. The Levites actually did a lot of things in the nation of Israel. They were the teachers. We have schools today, right? Back then, the schools didn't teach math or geography or, or anything like that. They taught scripture. They taught the law of the Lord. And this was the job of the Levites. So you got schooling out of that 10% that you gave. You also got pastoral care. The Levites' job was to care for the nation. Kind of like our modern-day counsellors, per se, or our, our visitations or organizing people to support someone or, or getting a community together to work. To, I mean, this was the job of the Levites. In some cases, the Levites were called upon in regards to medical assistance. They didn't have like open heart surgery back then, so they didn't have to know all that much. But they did help in remedies. They did help. in. So you, you know, for that 10% that the nation gave, they got quite a bit back, Right? American theology states that we don't need to pay this tithe because we have a government that does all this work for us. So I paid in my taxes. The schooling supported by the government. Medicare, for some of us, is covered by the government. So why do I need to give to the church now? Well, as Paul states, some of us have been called to be pastors, teachers, prophets, we continue this tithe because we support our priests, our modern-day Levites. What is their job? Their job is to care for us spiritually. With me? And even they need to be paying their tithe because as it says in Numbers, when you receive your tithe, you must, give, uh, you must present a tenth of it a tithe to the Lord. So we're not all exempt from that, even the Levites had to pay their little 10%, their tithe. Our question is, does that apply to us today? 
I would say, yeah, the government doesn't care about you spiritually. It may cover certain areas, you know, now schooling's covered. And, but you know what, back then schooling, in the sense that we know today, wasn't covered by the Levites. That was covered by the parents. The teaching they did back then was teaching them to know who the Lord is. Teaching them to, to fear the Lord, to raise them up in knowing who God is. To challenge them, to help them grow spiritually. You know, in fact, one of the reasons why the Lord was none too happy about having a king for Israel, apart from all else, was that not only are you going to be paying taxes to the king, but you still have to pay your tithes. They want a king? Hey, you want to submit to the government? Guess what? You're going to, you're going to have to support that and all that entails. Oh, but we want a king. And that's what they did. They had a king. And half the time they complained about how much money was gone. But the Lord demands a tithe for this instant to be supporting. And today we need to be looking at as well, who are our spiritual caregivers? Who are the people that we support? I mean, obviously I'm standing up front here and speaking for myself, but we have others. Others who have been called by God to help grow people spiritually. Oh, Hugh, uh, Rob and Emma, these are people, uh, Annette, these are people that have that are relying on a wage to be able to do God's work. And we come as a community and we lift them up and say, we honour you guys and we want to support you all. So, that was the first tithe. The second tithe, and this is another 10%, so keep a count here as we go along. Another tithe was to provide for the festivals. Now, this wasn't so much the money you gained, but it was more of the produce you had. In Deuteronomy 14.22, it talks about, you know what, you need to gather your food, the first foods from your, from your, your, your crops, the firstborn of your, your flocks, the olive oil, the wine. Bring it to the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Israel, when they arrived into the Holy Land, they settled in, they had festivals several times a year. And they were to bring their foods together and eat to remember what the Lord had done. The Passover. The festivals. So the Lord said, set aside what you make, what food that you get, you're going to eat it. And this is your food. There was a third offering. Keeping accounts here. And that was social welfare. Going on in Deuteronomy, he talks about at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. That was for the widows, the poor people. And he includes even the Levites in that. He goes, you've got to look after these people. Keep your storehouses full so that those who are in need can come and grab food. And the Lord had kind of made out that, you know, every three years should be enough. So technically we're looking at what? 23% a year the people were giving in accordance to what God had asked them. That's about our tax rate, isn't it? <laughs> really, when you think about it. So that's the history behind it. And now we've got a question. Is that valid for us today? Do we have to do this now? Do we really need to be doing this now? Because frankly, I don't see 
why we should. Who agrees or disagrees with me? Who thinks that we should be tithing? Who disagrees? Got a couple of people putting their hands up. Why not? Amen. Tithing has not ended, but it has changed. It has changed slightly. Because grace has come in, we don't follow the law, but we need to be careful. Do we follow or not follow the law? Are we subject to the law? What is the foundation of the law? There's ten of them. We wouldn't dare say that we wouldn't follow the Ten Commandments, would we? Amen. Amen. So we've got to be careful. With Jesus, things have changed just a little bit. Grace has come into play. God wants your heart. And that comes to tithing now. Tithing, you know what? God wants you to tithe. But not in the way you think. He wants you to give from the heart. Because you know what? Change your money and it may change your heart. But change your heart and it will change your money. You could be forced to follow the law. That may change your heart. But if you change your heart, you will automatically follow the law. You with me? The law becomes written on our hearts. How many times does Paul say that? The law is now written on our hearts. Grace has come. Oh, it's a difficult concept, believe me. But God calls us to give everything to him. Everything to him. Every part of us needs to be fully committed to him. Um, I haven't got the verse up there, but 1 Corinthians says, uh, sorry, Luke 6.45 says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. And out of the overflow of his heart, the person gives. You with me? It's all about the heart. Now, (laughs) who thinks giving is easy? Oh, that, that's that, that, yeah. I've got some hands going. Anyone else from their hand? Okay, it's not easy. Okay, it was easier when it's a law, isn't it? If God just says black and white, do this, then I could follow it. Well, whether we do or not, that's a whole other issue. But when He puts responsibility on our hearts to make that decision, oh, how am I going to deal with that? And believe me. 
I'm a pastor and I've gone through theological college, I've been doing this for years, it's still difficult. Because life encroaches on us, doesn't it? Everything happens. You get that odd bill out of nowhere where you just don't expect it to hit you. Who's had that? Yeah, I've got a tax bill. My first tax return, I get a bill from it of $1,000. I was like, what? Where did this come from? Oh, well, you know, these things happen. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> so I should be saving up every year? Not only, You know, these things just happen. Well, the other opposite happens too. We got a $400 check from Mercury Energy because when we closed the account with them, they had overpaid us. Yes. So, but these things happen in life. They, they, they set us back. But you know what? Giving doesn't just confine us to money, by the way. We need to be talking about ourselves as a whole. And I'm going to talk about three different things, three different ways that you can be giving in your lives. If you've, everyone got a, a news sheet, you might see in there there's a little pamphlet about giving. If you pull that out, We're going to talk about three different areas. When you open that up to, the, uh, to your right on that sheet, there will be some questions for you to answer, some things for you to be challenged by. Now, I apologize to you who are visiting this morning or thinking, hey, this is a new place. Already... This is part of our daily lives. We as a church are committed to live together and things that we need to talk about sometimes, well, we need to talk about these things. So don't feel pressured. So, three things we need to talk about. First thing is time. Time. What are you giving to the Lord on a weekly basis? How much time are you giving to Him? This is not about serving. This is about your time with God. How much time are you giving to God? I'm pointing out to Pete right now, and he's going to feel embarrassed, but I'm going to point out to him because he's been a bit of a, an inspiration to me. Gets up at five in the morning when everyone's still asleep, spends as much time as he can reading his Bible and sitting with God until little Noah runs up and wakes up at six in the morning, comes running down, Dad! And then, and then at that point he needs to close his book because he knows he won't be able to focus on it again. But he gets up that extra bit early to spend that extra bit of time with God doesn't happen every day, some days it's tough, but he makes the commitment to try and make it happen. What are you doing to spend time with God? Do we all acknowledge that God exists? Is he everywhere? Is he here right now? Where is he when you wake up at five in the morning? Right with you. So let's not ignore him. Let's not treat him as though he's the wind. Let's not, take it, let's not just disregard him. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you, one-on-one time. But you know what? You need to start small. Don't start thinking, okay, I'm going to spend the next three hours every day with God, and I'll start tomorrow, and I'll do You know, if you're like me, that's what I do. I go on a diet, and I stop eating for three days, and then I pass out. Okay. <laughs> And then I see a big plate of pasta and I'm into it. You know, no, start small. Okay, what can you do to start small? Ten minutes a day, five minutes a day, a couple minutes a day. Give yourself just that little bit of an edge. Just say, I want to spend this much and I'll commit to this. 
And then as you go along and you start to get that into your system as it's part of your life, then you can expand on that, go deeper. Some people who, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a week. Who's, who's known that? I've known people, oh, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to read it in a week. Whoa, dude, that's, that's, that's a bit of a read. You know, some of us are overwhelmed by that. Commit to reading one Bible verse a day. And some of you are going to look at me and say, what Bible verse do I read? Uh, let me know. Many years ago, I wrote a 60-day thing for my youth. Just one verse a day. Just read that one verse. Keep it in your mind. Because if you believe that the Word of God is living, that's going to grow in you. Just one verse. How long does it take to read one verse? 30 seconds? Really? Can you not do that for God? Start small. You're going to need to make a commitment of your time. What is it? What time are you going to give up for God? Because you know what? At the end of the day, with all the degrees we might be holding under our arms or all the homes that we might own and the investments that we might have, all the kids that we might have, at the end of the day, you stand before God, that's not going to count. I guarantee you. Because the one thing that's going to count in his eyes is his relationship with you. Where are you at with that? So build that, foster that. And you know what that means. You all know what that means. For those of you who have partners here, you know how important that that relationship is. Well, God's relationship with you is more important than anything on this earth. Take the time out. Make a commitment. It's there. It's between you and God. I'm not going to chase you on it. But just say, hey, how much can I give a day to God? I can give a couple of hours to a movie. That means absolutely nothing to my life. But can I give five, ten minutes a day to just being with my Lord? Some people have got it nailed down. I'll go for a walk. And that's their time with God. I have a shower that lasts 30 minutes every morning. Drives my family absolutely crazy. But you know what? No one's going to bug me in the shower. I've got four women in the house. They're not going to go anywhere near that place. And that's my great time with God because I know I'm not going to be disturbed. No phone's going to ever catch me in there. No person's going to come in on me. I'm alone with God. It costs us a little bit on the electricity side, but hey. That's my quiet time with God. I choose that. I choose that. It's, it's the best way. You know why? Because I get distracted during the day. Even though I study for him and I work for him and I prepare sermons every week and I read a lot, I know a lot of the times I don't think that I'm actually being with God. I end up doing work. And there are a lot of us here who are really good Bible students and we just forget that actually it's about God and our relationship with him. First and foremost. I get caught in it. I can go through a whole week reading the Bible, doing all this stuff and never having spent five minutes alone with God. Oh, yeah, I've got a waterproof Bible too. <laughs> I do. I actually have a waterproof Bible so that I can sit in my shower and read. There you go. Getting a bit personal here. Anyway. <laughs> too much information. Next. Okay. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> the next thing we need to look at is talents. Everybody in this place has a gift. Everybody. There is not one person in here who does not. 
Okay, you are gifted. You have been blessed. There is a part of you that only you know how to do better than anyone else. Okay, you do it, you do it well. And what are you giving to the Lord? Where are you serving him for him? Okay, I'm going to say that for him. Where are you serving him for him? Your calling, obedience, commitment. What, is, what are you called to do? What are you good at? And are you serving him for him, not for just your pleasure or for the pleasure of the people around you? You know, I'll be honest with you. When I first got married, I was an introvert. I was absolutely, completely afraid to speak anywhere in public, up front in front of anyone. There was no way anyone would get me up front here to talk like this. Monica, our first arguments was she was talking, I was listening, and not responding. And it would frustrate her. She'd come back to me going, why aren't you talking? Do I have to? I'm just an old guy. I agree with you. You're right. Okay, next. You know, women, you know, what I, you know what I mean? How frustrating that can be sometimes. There's no response. Well, the guys don't usually have much to respond to. You know, we, we agree. Hey, that's it. And I had to learn to communicate. I had to learn to talk. And as I learned that, as I learned to be able to express myself, I realized that, hey, I could actually speak up front. It took a little bit. And with the help of other people, God put that on my heart. I really thought I was destined for a whole different career. I would never have thought I'd ever be a pastor. And you know what? A lot of you sitting here, God has called you to certain areas. And the question is, are you going to be obedient to that calling? And are you going to commit to it? What is that calling? It doesn't have to be grand. For some of you, you're a great plumber. And you know what? We need that in the kingdom. We need those drains cleared out. Some of you are electricians. We need electricians. Some of you are gifted in serving and just quietly serving. We need that. God's kingdom needs that. So what are you good at? Someone asked me, what's going on up front here? What what is all this stuff up front here? Well, over the the last couple of weeks and the next few weeks, uh, our ministry leaders are going to put out information about ministries that are happening in this church and the needs that they have place for you to commit to something if God's calling you to that. Um, the women's ministry, of course, were the first one up there. They were the first one organized, can you tell? They did a great job. And then now we've got our children's ministry. We've got girls we had over there. We've got our crafts. and We've got all our ministries start slowly putting up stuff. It's now in your court to see where God is leading you to commit. Now, I'm going to challenge you on a couple of things. And more importantly is this. Where has God called you to commit? I believe firmly in the church. And I believe firmly that the Bible is very clear about how that church needs to look like. And part of looking at at the church is a committed group of fellowship of believers who come together who are called to that place, who are called to do ministry in that place and to do it together. And so the question that needs to be at your feet is, where are you committed to be? And if it's here, what is it you're committed to? What is it committed to? Where? Why? 
Start small. Okay? Again, if you're like me, you start thinking, you know, I, 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 I do this all the time, and, and poor old Robin and Emma have to haul me back sometimes. I'll do everything that's put in front of me. I'm a workaholic. I would do everything. I would do the newsletter. I would do the sermons. I would do the, the if I had to, I'd do the gardening, even though I'm really not a gardening kind of guy. Um, I would run around. I'd, I'd do everything. I would take care of everything. You know what? I'm not asking you to do everything. I'm asking you to start small. Okay? Start small. Pick one area. There's not one area in this church where we don't need help. I can tell you that right now. You feel called to youth? We could use your help. You feel called to children's ministry? You want to help out there? Administration. Serving, even morning tea. If you feel like you're not gifted in anything, come and have a chat with me. Just pick one area. Start in one small place. Don't, don't overcommit yourself. Give yourself space. And then commit to a period of time. Hey, you know what? Maybe you can help out in Girls Brigade. Or maybe you can help out in Shiloh. Give yourself a period of time. Four weeks, eight weeks, six months. See how it goes. See if God is really working you in that. And he'll give you a heart for it. And then he might open up other areas where you, as you're working in that area, you know, you might want to be able to help in another area and you find you do have the time to do that. One of the biggest problems we have in ministry today is people getting burnt out because they take the load, they take everything. They take everything on their shoulders and at the end of the day, they're burnt out, they can't do the work. And then other people get afraid to do it because they see people getting burnt out and it perpetuates. So everybody sits in the pews and think, I'm too afraid to do ministry because I saw what it did to them, right? That pastor, he was skinny, he had long hair, he was good looking, look at him now. Look what's happened to him. You know, I want to touch ministry. You know, the point is pacing yourselves. Start small. You've got that shit in front of you. What can you commit to? What can you do? And then the last thing is treasures. What are you giving to the Lord on a weekly basis? Where has he called you to be? And you know what? Giving's not a choice. It's not about a choice. It's about heart. This is, this is tough. But you know what? Like last week when we talked about membership, we don't think twice about signing off on a one card at, at Countdown. It's the same with money. We, we don't, some of us don't think twice about signing up on an internet package to pay 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month. Some of us don't think twice about taking the family to McDonald's and spending 30, 40 bucks there. Yet, we, we do think twice when it comes to giving to the church. With me? Oh, I have to give to the church. Oh, at least with the internet package, I get 500 gig download. Do I get that with the church? No. No. Do I get free texting? Something, anything. Air points, can I get that? You know, uh, we are a culture of, you know, I'm going to give money, I'm going to get something back. But it's not, (laughs) that's not the issue. Tithing today is your commitment to seeing God's kingdom grow, period. That's it. 
You don't just give to say, well, I like youth, but I can't stand the music, so I'll give my tithe to the youth because they're cool. And uh, music, can, can, uh, because I don't really like it. Uh, that, that's not giving. That's selective choice. Oh, you can still do that if you want. Hey, I'm sure the youth would love to take your money. But when you give, you give, and that's it. I'm not naive to think it's not easy. It isn't. I'm a pastor again, and I struggle with this. It's a struggle every week where I've got to commit, okay, you know what, I've just paid for my internet, I've paid for this, I'm left with 25 bucks. And I think to myself, I've got to feed my family at some point, don't I? (laughs) Ever feel like that? Start small. Dollar a day, $10 a week, $50 a month. It doesn't even have to be that much. Maybe $10 a month, $5 a month. The problem with us is we get overwhelmed because the world demands so much on us. And here's a church demanding me as well. And we kind of equate the two so that we get a pit in our stomach when they say we need to be giving. Oh my goodness, 10% of my wages, oh, what's that? Oh, now he's talking about 23%. It's not even 10%. Oh my goodness, how am I going to survive now? No, 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 no. Don't even think of percentages anymore. Think of what you can give out of the goodness of your heart because God knows how much you can give and pass it on, period. If you honestly can only give $5, just give $5 because you know what? You do have a responsibility of supporting your family. And you know what? I'd rather you knock off all those credit card bills because the more you knock those off, the more you can give. You know? Pay off that car. Hurry up because that way you can give more. It frees you up. But the whole point isn't how much. The whole point is commitment. Give yourself a period of time to review how much you're giving. You might start off like me. Oh, I'm going to give $1,000 a month. Hang on, I don't make that much. No, it doesn't matter. I'm going to give that much anyway. And then you realize you can't do it. Well, give yourself a bit of time. Just look back and think, I can't do that much. I can go down. Or maybe over time you look at it and you think, hey, you know what? I can give a little bit more. And you know what? Giving to the church is a little bit different than giving to people, okay? I've had people who come to me and say, well, I gave to so-and-so. Well, hang on a second. If you're committed here, like it says up there, where has he called you to be? This needs to be your priority. Everything else is, you know, out of the goodness of your heart elsewhere. Okay? This is the community that you've chosen to live with. It's like your family. I support my family first above all things, and then I'll look after my neighbor. It's the same with you in this church. This is your family. You look after the church, your family first, then you can look out for the neighbors. If this is where God's called you to be. You with me? New Testament church. You know, you're reading Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians. Paul is calling for donations. He says, hey, make a collection so that when I get there, I'll have money to disperse to other churches. Look after yourselves. Watch out for yourselves. Share with what you have. In today's society, it's a little bit different from the first century. It's not easy to just say, hey, I'm just going to come over to your place and have dinner because I can't afford to have dinner at my place. 
it is a little bit difficult because who knows if we're going to catch you there. And of course, if I've got a cold and I'm sick, you don't want to come and get sick too. So we support ourselves in, in different ways. Maybe a, a meal or some food or, or whatever. But we need to keep this place running, not for our own glory, but for his. And we don't do it because we need to keep this place running. We do it because God's called us to do it. I don't want to put the guilt... Tri- well, yeah, I do, actually. I, I, I know that kind of it feels strange. Oh, he's giving me the guilt. Yeah. Well, if, the, if that's what's going to work, you know, the Lord says, I, I don't want you to fear me, but if fear works, hey. <laughs> you know, if I have to, you know, what, what do I need to do to get you straight? I'm not into prosperity teaching. I don't believe it for a moment. It's not biblical. But I do believe that the heart rejoices when it gives to God's work. And that you grow spiritually when you give, whether it's your time, whether it's your talents, whether it's your treasures. These aspects are fundamental to who we are as Christ followers. You with me? Just because you give money doesn't mean you're going to get a million dollars back. But the equivalent will come back to your heart. Because your heart will grow. Because you're part of something bigger. Your family's all around you. Maybe the Old Testament view of tithing has changed. But it still is tithing today. We give because God has called us to give. We give because God has commanded us to give. How much we give? It's a challenge to your own heart. I ask the worship team to come up. You've got your little pamphlets there. This is a time of year, and for those of you, again, who are new to our church, we do this every year, once a year. We've done it a little differently this year. But we recommit this year to the Lord what we give in areas of our lives. And I want you to commit. I want to challenge you. Take that home. Pray it. Give it to the Lord. What time can you give to him during your week? What kind of service can you do for him? And how much of what you make can you give back to him? God always blesses what we give. As much as he blesses obedience, as much as he blesses all things that are faithful to him. You with me? We can trust him. And we need to. Absolutely need to. It is an investment in his kingdom. And he blesses you with that investment. He does. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. Help us, Lord, to be able to make a commitment to you. Maybe stepping out of our comfort zones. Maybe being challenged, Lord, to do something that may not be normal for us, but to trust you and to believe that you are our God. And that by trusting you, Lord, you will, as my sister said, bless us. 
You will lift us up. You will watch over us. Every bit given to you, Lord, returns tenfold. I pray, Lord, that you help us to make those commitments. That they may not just be words on papers, but they may be written on our hearts. Challenge us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.